You're listening to the Sojourn Church Midtown Sermon Series, Refocus. The sermon series aims to answer the confusing questions we have been left with since the COVID-19 pandemic. The Refocus series is rooted in four passages from the book of Hebrews and helps remind our people of the supremacy of Christ and the renewing power of God's Word. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you, family. I said, peace be with you, family. All right. I like that. All right. So good to see y'all and uh, to, be, to be seen, to be in the land of the living. Uh, as we uh, get ready to prepare our hearts to dive into the word, um, I just want to praise the Lord for what um, he is doing uh, in our church. I think that was a beautiful testimony that was shared by Pastor Jarvis and those community group uh, leaders. And we just want to encourage you uh, to, to get plugged into a group or a D group or restore or, or some of the ministries here where you can do life together. I also want to pause and just give a, a shout out to our AV team. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all have heard me say this, but uh, in 2020, they were the real MVPs. Amen. They, they kept us online. They upped our streaming game and made it uh, possible for us to be able to stay connected uh, virtually. But also bring them up because we have a number of different ministries that I can highlight every single week, but I bring them up specifically is because they're looking for more volunteers um, in that ministry. It's a fun ministry to be a part of. It's a great uh, small community. But if you would like to serve, uh, please uh, let Austin know. You can find an email address on, uh, on our website so that you can get plugged in and help uh, serve that ministry so that we don't stretch the few volunteers uh, to Thin. And the church said, Amen. Amen. We talked about how we're a family, and a healthy family is a family in which everyone is, is playing their part or pitching in. A dysfunctional family, one person is doing all the work. Or it's a dictatorship, one person is having everyone else do the work while they don't do anything. Um, a healthy family is we all use our gifts um, together. Uh, in order to serve the whole. And so we want to be uh, a healthy family. The last thing I want to say before we dive in is, you guys see this beautiful piece of art right here? It's called uh, the Refocus Plan. 
We talked last week about our series, which we entitled Refocus, which is helping us all take our next uh, transformational step uh, to Jesus as we embrace the new normal. Well, our communication director, uh, Jack, put together this really uh, cool uh, uh, plan uh, for us. Uh, And what it is, is it's a survey to help you to take that next step. Um, We really are excited about this and to get this in your hands and you can get it in the back. And here's the thing, it's actually this size. All right. So this isn't just big because it's in my hands and we want you guys to see it from out there. This is the actual size of it. And I think it's pretty cool. It looks like an album cover, right? Like, you, you know, you could put in an album. It can serve as a mouse pad. Yeah, yeah. You set your computer on it. Uh, a plate mat, right? So whatever you need to do to remind yourself. But Specifically, we put it this size because in the first sermon, Pastor TPJ talked about how he had to get reading glasses. And so we wanted to help our brother out by having a larger than life survey. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> no, we wanted you all to know how important this initiative is and to make sure that you didn't forget it and that you see the value in what we're doing. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive right in. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you to breathe life into us through your word as we gather corporately to receive a charge and encouragement so that we will continue to grow in our most holy faith. Father, even though I'm on a stage, may you remind people, remind me that this is not a performance. And even though your people are receiving the word from me up here, may you remind them that they are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who have also been called to shoot forth your praises because you called them out of darkness into your marvelous light. Would you have mercy upon us, Jehovah Jireh? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, week one, we looked at refocus by remembering. And looked at refocus by remembering that Jesus isn't just one more thing. He's everything. Week two, we looked at the importance of refocusing by being renewed by God's word. And today we're going to talk about refocusing by rediscovering, refocusing by rediscovering. And my goal today is to help us to refocus on Jesus by rediscovering the value and the beauty of being a part of his family. In his book, Among Wolves, Pastor Dehadi Lewis says this, Of all the word pictures and metaphors used to describe the church, one stands out above the rest, family. In fact, it is so much of the essence of the church that it cannot even properly be called a metaphor. Metaphors describe what the church is like or similar to light, flock, field, building. But family is not metaphorical. It is a literal description of a phenomenon we know as church. The church is not like a family. It is a family. God is literally our father. Jesus is literally our older brother. 
And we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. Family is the primary way the early church identified themselves. He continues. I want you to listen to this. This can be seen by the fact that the word disciple, so prevalent in the early part of the New Testament, disappears after the book of Acts. It is replaced by the term brother in the rest of the Bible. Family dominates the self-understanding of the early church. We could argue that it is because of Paul's letters, but it didn't come from Paul. It is deeply rooted in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so as we talk about family, I want to acknowledge that for some of us, that is an example or a reality that makes us uncomfortable. And the reason why is because we may be from dysfunctional families. Now, every family, because of the fall, has dysfunction in it. But some of us come from families in which the level of dysfunction is so discouraging that to hear the church referred as family makes us really nervous. In fact, we feel like, hey, let's not use that term. Let's refer to the family as, as to the church as the bride of Christ. That's a better metaphor. Because, Pastor Jamal, I had an absent dad, or I had and grew up in an abusive household. And when I hear the word family, it, it triggers me and it doesn't make me feel comfortable. Well, I want to encourage you that while that may be the reality, that the family that you, if you are a Christian, have been adopted in is not uh, led by a father who is abusive or absent. But you are a part of a family that is led by a perfect, gracious compassionate, loving father who sings over you. And you are a part of the family because your elder brother, Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus Christ gave his life for you so that you could experience the perfect love of this father. And so while it may take time for you to get used to that term, When the Bible speaks of family, it speaks of you being adopted into a family that's led by a perfect God. And even though there's still mess and dysfunction in churches and in the kingdom of God, as a family, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been given everything we need for reconciliation and hope. And as we grow in Christ we grow and should grow in less dysfunction. Today, I want to narrow in specifically on two verses, verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 and 25 of Hebrews chapter uh, 10 uh, comes right after just a a beautiful, beautiful explanation of of Jesus Christ as our great high priest, meaning, meaning that Jesus gave us access Uh, to the Father through his advocacy on the cross. And the author uses some Old Testament imagery and and, and word pictures uh, to remind the audience of Hebrews of what Jesus has done uh, for them. And he invites them essentially in those verses to do two things. One is because of what Jesus has done for us to draw near uh, to God with boldness, 
Boldness means with confidence and with joy. Meaning that because Jesus is our great high priest, when we sin, we have full access into the presence of God and we don't have to hold our head because Jesus paid for our sins. But he also says, don't only, not only are you to draw near because of the access you have through the advocacy of Jesus Christ, but he encourages the readers to hold on, to hold on without swerving um, by faith uh, to the confession that you have in Christ Jesus. And so then we get to verses 24 and 25 and we read this. And I believe what the author is doing is showing us how to hold on how to hold on. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some is in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. So as we take as Christians, and he starts in verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, those who are a part of the God, a part of the family of God, draw near, hold on to your confession, And the way that you do that is by considering one another in order to provoke love and good works. And so the writer of Hebrews is dealing with a church that um, is discouraged. We see, uh, and it's inferred in Hebrews chapter 13 and and, and 3, that they're discouraged uh, because of persecution. The author of Hebrews tells the, uh, the, the, his readers to remember those who are in prison. He's speaking about those who are being persecuted by faith. Apathy may be setting in. And the church is saying that salvation is, is Jesus uh, plus, or some people are just, are just going back into the world. And so the book of Hebrews, in many ways, is a warning, a warning passage. As people are now neglecting to gather together as the body of Christ because of discouragement, And while we may uh, have people not gathering together as the body of Christ for different reasons, I think that the same thing is happening throughout our land. On average, from the research that I've read, most churches are seeing 10% to 40% engagement compared to what happened before COVID-19. Y'all hear that? That means that 10 to 40% of the people who were engaged in the church are still engaged. The rest of people aren't. Uh, one pastor, uh, Matt Chandler, recently talked about, he's a pastor of a village church, a large church. He says one third, and I'm paraphrasing, one third of our people are engaged and on fire for Jesus. One third are extremely spotty. And then one third, we have no idea where they are. And I think that's, the, that's what most pastors are, are feeling right now. Where are the people of God? And there's a number of different reasons why the church is not operating as family right now and why some people are unavailable. You just can't find them. And here's one really good reason. We're in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Right. And so we want to acknowledge that, that the reason why there may be a lack of engagement and a neglecting of this identity of family. And this is identity that we don't earn that was given to us. Uh, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus is because the pandemic has thrown our, our lives upside down. I'm going to say some more about that later. But another reason why we see this lack of engagement, I believe, is because as a culture, even before the pandemic, there was a, a there is just a, a natural emphasis of individualism. 
as Westerners, as opposed to Eastern culture, um, we are very individualistic. As a society, what's mine is mine. And what's my business is my business. And there's only a certain level of comfort in which you can, you can kind of uh, uh, become a, a part of me or a part of my family. And so we, even in our relationship with God as Westerners um, and as Americans, we often have a very uh, vertical understanding of our relationship. So we, some of us are good at you know, loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, so to speak. But when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourself, um, we kind of check out. And I would argue that you can't love God with your heart, mind, and soul and every part of your being um, and, if, and, and then not love your brother as yourself. Like if you're not truly loving God, if you're truly loving God, you're going to love your brother. But there's other reasons too. I think sensationalism is something that's a part of our culture. Um, and I think the pandemic has exposed that, that many people are in the Christian faith and follow the Christian faith or identify as Christians because they like the experience. And so I'm going to identify as a Christian. I'm going to read my word. I'm going to come on Sunday. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And I'm going to come and go to the place that puts on the best show and that makes me feel good. It's almost a sort of mysticism. But Christianity is not only about gathering together on a Sunday morning. In fact, I will argue that the author of Hebrews is not just talking about this kind of corporate large group worship gathering. He's talking about this scattering that happens from week to week. In fact, in Hebrews chapter three, the author talks about, and let us encourage one another daily while it is called today in order to fight against unbelief. Being a disciple of Jesus is not a weekend thing, a Sunday morning thing in which we come to in order to have an experience and go out into the world and live our most comfortable life. Being a disciple of Jesus is becoming a part of his family and living with those who are near us together as a family on mission. Another reason is this idealism. I think the church is really suffering and struggling because of we have a very idealistic vision of church. Very idealism. And what that means is uh, we want to be a part of the church as long as everything is easy, no one's stepping on our, our toes, or no one hurts us. Okay? And the problem with idealism is, is that the church is messy and that people who are in the church are messy because we're incomplete and we're sinners. And if that is your expectation to be a part of family God, it means that you never are sinned against. And if you run when you sin against others because you don't want them to see the true you, you are missing the gift of being a part of this family. And you are missing the gift of the gospel, which is all about forgiveness of sin and living in not, no, with no condemnation. In the early church, and From the very beginning, we see that the church was not very ideal. Uh, There was a lot of sin, a lot of crazy things happening. So for those of you who are discouraged and who feel like you need to deconstruct your faith and you're like, hey, I can do Christianity all by myself and I'll just watch online and live my life because the church is messed up. The church was messed up when the apostles were a part of the church and they saw a resurrected Jesus. This is church. This is the bride of Christ. 
And this is also how the Lord sanctifies us and grows us up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about this kind of, these kind of attitudes. He says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. <laughs> but the person who loves those around them will create community. Will create community. So I want to just quickly go through verse 24 and 25 and look at what the text says with those things in mind. And the author says this in verse 24, and let us watch out for one another. Let us watch out for one another. This is an important invitation that if you are a Christian, people should be in your lives enough that they can watch out for you. Other Christians should know you well enough to know what they need to help protect you against. Now, this is not an invitation for some of us who have these personalities where we love to watch out for people, (laughs) a.k.a. we're nosy, a little overbearing, or like to be controlling in the name of Jesus. (laughs) All right. This watching out is not a watching out where we are just uh, uh, constantly in people's business. No, it's a watching out that is done from love and for love. Is done to help our other brothers and sisters uh, to, to love others and to love God. Galatians chapter 2 gives us a good picture of what this watching out looks like. The Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Uh, it's to love God with all of your being and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God is that we watch out for one another. So I'm about to give a spoiler for those of you who have been saying that you're going to watch The Chosen, which is a a Christian uh, show uh, that has completely taken over the world. Okay. Um, So if you haven't watched The Chosen, how many of you have heard of The Chosen? See, look at that. It has taken over the world. How many of you have watched The Chosen? All right. For those of you who have not, I'm so sorry, but I'm about to give a part of it away. All right. It's been out for a while, so it's on you. (laughs) So in The Chosen, it does a beautiful job of just showing the humanity of the disciples. And it's basically uh, walking Christians through uh, the Gospels and the story of Jesus. And they're filling in some things in a creative way using their holy imagination. But one thing that they do is they expound on the life of Mary Magdalene, which is, I believe, found in like Luke chapter 18. And this idea of Mary being a woman who had was delivered from seven demons. And so what they do is they show Mary wrestling as the show opens up with all of these these uh, demons and Jesus setting her free when no one else can. And in seasons chapter two, they show Mary faithfully following Jesus as one of his main disciples. But there's one episode where she backslides. Um, She gets discouraged, something triggers her, and she goes back to her old way of life. She just disappears. And it's just a beautiful scene. It's an absolute beautiful scene as the disciples go back to where she was before she followed Jesus, and they just go all over the city looking for her. And then they find her, and she's so discouraged. 
And she's just filled with shame. You see it all in her body. And they stay with Mary. They nurture her. They speak to her as a, as a, a fellow uh, traveler, as a, as a human. And they gently restore her and bring her back to Jesus. And this is this powerful scene where she's before Jesus and she's expected to be scolded. Her head is down and Jesus just loves her, forgives her, hugs her, embraces her. And the point that they're making is that, hey, this is the Christian life. As we're being sanctified, sometimes we're going to sin, sometimes we're going to fall. But Jesus does not stand in condemnation. He is our great high priest who embraces us. And that's what the writer of Hebrew talks about when he talks about coming boldly before his throne of grace. We can come boldly before his throne of grace because of what he's done for us on the cross. And we can come boldly with joy knowing that he gave up his life so that we could have this type of access without condemnation. But we've also been made a part of a family of God where the people who are part of his family should have that posture towards each other, where we are helping each other to grow up through loving accountability, restoring each other when we fall and helping to provoke each other towards good works. And you see that in the text. He says, and let us watch out for one another to provoke I love this. This word provoke, some translations say to stir up. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 15, verse 39, when you see uh, a a dispute between uh, Peter and, um, I'm sorry, between uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, regarding John Mark. And it's it's a great picture. It's like this gospel prodding. This gospel pushing is maybe a picture of a uh, of a, a boxer in a ring with another boxer. He has people in his corner that's trying to encourage him to go, to go, keep going, to stay in there, to follow the game plan. And so what the author is saying is that as Christians, we're part of a family and the way in which we fight unbelief, the way in which we fight apathy, the way in which we fight sin and discouragement is by having other believers in our life being our spiritual hype person encouraging us, stirring us up, telling us to keep going, telling us to fight the fight, the good fight of faith. We need each other. We need each other. We're all from different backgrounds. We have different strengths, different weaknesses, but God has knitted us together as a local church family. And it's not by accident or incident. It's through his providence and by his sovereignty. If you are a part of a church that you are here and your brothers and sisters in Christ need you. Married couples, your single Christians need you. Single couples, you married couples, you need your single brothers and sisters. Those who... Um, our same-sex attracted need their brothers and sisters in Christ to to encourage them to to keep going and to remain faithful. Those who are not same-sex attracted need their brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them and to remain them to stay faithful. Those who are battling addiction need people who are not battling addictions to encourage them and stay faithful. Those who are not battling addiction need their brothers and sisters who are battling addictions to, to encourage them and to stay faithful. All of us need encouragement and to stay faithful because we have a three-headed monster that is constantly trying to discourage us. And that is our flesh, the world, and a real enemy named Satan. 
And when we isolate ourselves or buy into this individualistic, uh, mystic uh, type of Christianity, this Rambo type of Christianity, I can be a Christian all by myself and take on the world. It's just a matter of time before we fall. We need each other. We need to stir each other up. And I love what he says in two ways we need to stir each other up, two ways we need to provoke, provoke or, or kind of prod each other, poke, give these gospel loving pokes. He says to love and to do good works, to love. Our hearts naturally are selfish and self-centered. We tend towards self-protection and we need brothers and sisters to call out when we're becoming and acting in self-centered ways. We've been made a part of this family to stretch ourselves outside of ourselves, to help us to push ourselves away from ourselves and to Jesus. And we need brothers and sisters to say, hey, it seems like there's a root of bitterness in your heart towards this person or towards this group. It seems like you're finding your identity in this particular political camp. It seems like uh, the way that you speak about your enemy is in a way of hatred. Have you considered praying for them? Have you considered ways that you can love them? That's what it means to provoke and to stir up. The way that you're treating your spouse, the way that you're treating your neighbor, the way that you're treating this other person. um, Have you considered that the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to treat them in a radical way that you would not be able to treat them if he was not indwelling you. And good works. And good works. Ephesians chapter 2.10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship. We are his poema created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for good works. And without the people of God in our lives, this is what ha- would happen. We would only do the good works that we are absolutely comfortable with. Or we would do the good works that we like to do only when we felt like it. But the Christian life follows after the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is a cross-bearing way. It is a narrow way. It is a difficult way, but a beautiful way that is meant to be spent in community. And some of us, we have been stuck in our Christian walk and the way in we engage God's word and the way in which we serve others. We haven't grown in loving in five years. And the reason we haven't grown in loving in five years is because we have not put ourselves in authentic, vulnerable, burden-bearing community with humility. And we're stuck. And some of us have started to backslide. Some of us are living on yesterday successes. We're still telling the story of how God used us to bring someone to faith 11 years ago and hadn't shared our faith in 10 years. But when you're in gospel community, when you got some other broken but beautiful Christians walking with you, and you just hear the story of how someone else shares their faith, it gives you a little courage and a little boldness to share your faith. When you hear about how someone else made a meal and contributed to a meal train for a family that is in need, it encourages you to get in the kitchen and to make some pork and beans. When, when you hear about how someone is laying down their life for the gospel and considering the mission field, it does something to you. And you may say, man, I'm not called 
to be a missionary across the nations. But my goodness, I can be a missionary to Miss Mary. I could be a missionary to Nuke Nuke and Bebe, who's right on my block, who doesn't know Jesus. Y'all cutting up. People, godly Christian people, are meant to be in our lives to prod us to encourage us towards love and good works and to help us to fight against unbelief. Unbelief. The family of God, listen to this, is for faith building. If your faith is not growing stronger, it's because you're probably isolated from the family of God. I'm so thankful for some sisters and some brothers that I have in my life that daily and weekly, I was just thinking this this week, there was a time in my life where my wife and I, we were praying for Christian community because we just didn't have any real deep friendships together once we got married and we were here in Louisville. And we just were praying. And it took some time for those relationships to to come and for us to be able to build that type of trust and, and community. But now, man, it feels like When we turn around, we've got a brother and sister that's in our life that actually knows us and people that we know encouraging us. Whether that's our people who are in our community group, which I'm so thankful for, who's now a part of our, we're part of their family, they're a part of our family, whether it's pastors, whether it's staff, you need those gospel proddings. Today, after the first service, I uh, was a little self-critical as I missed a portion of my sermon, I, was, I felt needed to be in there. And there was a brother who came up to me um, who's a dear Christian brother. I never met him and just encouraged me. We all need encouragement. And some of you are depressed, not because of some biological issue, but you're experiencing depression because you're isolating yourself away from a means of grace, which is the family of God. Listen to 2 John chapter 2, verse 12, and I got to hurry. All right. It says this, though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that your joy may be complete. Look at that. He says, though I have live stream available, I don't want to just preach to you through a computer. I look forward to seeing you face to face. Now, some of us, we should not be gathering on a Sunday because we have uh, uh, compromised uh, immune systems or we're caring for people who are compromised. Um, And to that, I'm not making a speech to come back and to gather. But what I am saying is that as a Christian, we need to be faithful to make sure we're doing everything we absolutely can to be in real embodied relationships with people. Some people I hear from who watch live stream and who have been watching who are in different states and who no longer go to your own church. And I want to encourage you to get connected to a local church that I cannot pastor you from another state. You need pastors who care about you where you are. You need relationships where you are. And you need to be plugged into a community where your gifts can be used to encourage someone else. It's not just about you. God has put inside of you a treasure, some gifts, a word that someone else needs. The story is told of a woman who went to the post office 
And she would regularly go. She was an older woman, sweet older woman, very gentle. And she would just make her way to the post office and stand in line around noon, twice a month. And finally, she goes up to the post office. She's talking to a postal worker and she asks for a book of stamps. And the lady says to her, she says, ma'am, on your way up here, you pass multiple stamp machines where you could have put some money in and just grab your book of stamps. But I noticed that you regularly come and I appreciate you. you always ask how I'm doing. You always say my name, but I'm confused at why you go past these postal stamp machines and wait in line all this time. And that little sweet old lady looked at her and said, child, that machine, that machine is not going to ask me how my day is going. And I can't ask that machine how his day's going. That machine cannot encourage me. That machine will not miss me. <laughs> but you might, and I might be able to encourage you. Some of us, we are in a habit of neglecting fellowship. We come to church when it's convenient. We show at communi- up at community group only when it's convenient. And I'm not encouraging us to burn ourselves out and to stretch ourselves so thin and to, to, to put on this condemnation and guilt when we miss. That's not what I'm saying. But what the text says, it says some of you are in a habit. I am encouraging you. If you are in a habit of not being connected to God's people and not gathering with God's people, you are setting yourself up for a future failure. First Peter chapter five says that our enemy is like a roaring lion and he is seeking whom he can devour. And what are the type of people, or what are the type of creatures that lions go after? People who are isolated, animals who are isolated, who are, are prey, who are not a part of the pack. And some of us have done a spiritual moonwalk. We are deconstructing and unconstructing and upconstructing and sideways constructing. We're doing all kind of constructing, questioning everything because Satan has gotten our mind and he is telling us lies. And perhaps the most scariest thing about that is just our own voice. And we need people around us who are some word people. We need people around us who can gently point us back to what the scriptures say and can remind us that what's happening today amongst churches is not new. The early church was messed up. That can remind us what Jesus wrote when he said there are many false prophets who will arise in the last day and lead many astray. And because wickedness is multiplied, most men's love will grow old. Child was happening today and has always been happening. Social media is just able to put it on blast more. Root yourself in the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. Gird yourselves up in the Lord. Put on the whole armor. And move forward knowing that you serve a good God who loves you and who has placed some gifts and a ministry inside of you. Well, Pastor Jamal, you know, I hear you. (laughs) But you don't gotta, you don't gotta come to church to be saved. That's true. You don't. You don't. Tony Evans said it well when he says this. I hear people say that, you know, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they are right. Salvation is through faith alone and Christ alone. You also don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough 
and your relationship will be affected. Bonhoeffer put it this way, it is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive these blessings, the imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, longly, the proclaimers of the gospel and heathen land stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. It is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers. And some of us, we take that for granted. Right now, there's brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who would love to be able just to sit under the word in comfort and to be able to go out and tell their neighbors about Jesus, but doing so and being found will cost them their life. And they need the church who is able to do that, to live their life on mission, to send resources, to pray for them, to remember them as they suffer and not to take this grace for granted. It is a grace that we're able to do this. It is a grace that we're able to build relationships with each other. It is a grace that we're able to live for Jesus. So I just want to encourage you really quick. One, if you're not a part, a member of a church, to join a church. Commit. A church membership isn't in the Bible. Well, I believe that it is implied throughout. You see it in the letters. The Apostle Paul is greeting people who are part of churches. We even see him telling Timothy to take account, literally to count the number of people who are part of the fellowship. Commit to a local church. We have some membership classes coming up. Make yourself known. Get in there. You say, well, I'm an introvert. Well, I am too. You say, well, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to. Well, okay, set yourself up so the lion, Satan, can devour you. And keep waddling in your unbelief and lukewarmness. Two, not only should you join a church and get connected, but I want to encourage you just to remember to rediscover the family of God by gathering regularly with Christians. Now, we don't do this to earn our salvation, and we shouldn't feel guilty if we miss every now and then. It's not what this is about, but it's about making sure you're connected enough where people know you and you know people and that if you go missing, someone can check up on you and stir you up. And stir you up. Notice how he closes. Apostle Paul says, and do this all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. I love what Pastor John Piper says about this verse, he says, the frequency and seriousness of your meeting should increase as the day of judgment draws near. And why should it increase? Why should we take gathering together more serious every single day more and more? It's because we know that we're a day closer to Jesus. And we also know that Jesus says in the last days, men, the heart of men will grow colder and colder and wickedness will prevail all the more. And we'll be more susceptible to unbelief. Church, we don't know when Christ is coming back, but we need to take this verse serious and do our best to plug in, to love the Lord, to love our neighbors, because Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. 
At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.